It's time for Series 3 of Shooting the Breeze. As we continue our focus on women's basketball, we'll be talking to more of the amazing players in the WNBL, the coaches that inspire them, those people behind the scenes that do so much for the sport, as well as so many more from across the Australian women's basketball landscape and beyond. It's the 42nd WNBL season, the longest-running women's professional league in the country, and this year, 2022, Sydney will stage the FIBA Women's World Cup, featuring the 12 best women's teams on the planet, playing right here on our turf. There's so much to come in this season. Subscribe, like, and review our podcast so we can get more Hoops content to you. And, you know, I, I love standing for the anthem. I love being an Australian. I love playing for the Opals and, you know, representing Australia and singing the anthem loud and proud. And I'm not I'm not disrespecting the anthem. I still love this country. But this is bigger than that at the moment. My teammates have been hurt and we're just trying to take action and support our teammates. We're bringing out the big guns for our last 2021 podcast as we get ready for the festive season. Kayla George lays it out and she doesn't shy away from anything in this episode. Kayla talks about the game itself, the teammate she loves, and the action that's needed, and not just in sports, about racial tolerance. Sit back, get comfortable. We're covering it all in this episode. And because it's Shooting the Breeze, there's laughs as well. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining my co-host Jacinta Govind and myself, it's Kayla George. Kayla, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Kayla, you've been obviously really busy with the start of the WNBL season. How's it all going for you guys? Yeah, it's been a busy couple of months and I don't know that I've had a full preseason in a very long time because I'm usually either coming back from an Opals commitment or the WNBA or something like that. So it's been a it's been a long preseason, but um it's been a good one and obviously we didn't get that last year with the hub. We had like I met the girls in Brisbane for the 2 week quarantine and we essentially had two weeks to train, play a couple of scrimmages against the other Victorian teams that were in the quarantine with us. And then we had to head on back up north and just play in five weeks. And it was pretty intense. But yeah, it's been great. Obviously, miss my family. My husband's actually just crossed the New South Wales border from Queensland. So he's on his way down, um, which is really exciting. So I'll see him tomorrow, hopefully. But yeah, look, other than missing my family, I've, I've enjoyed preseason so far. We've got a lot of new faces and for the first time in my career, I'm the oldest in the group, which makes me feel some type of way because I probably act the youngest, but I have to kind of act my age sometimes, which is a little confronting. But other than just trying to stay relevant with these young kids, um, yeah, it's been pretty cool. Yeah, I actually know how that feels. My my kids keep telling me that I'm behaving as though I'm younger than they are. Ah, oh, it happens. We've got to stay young at heart, I guess. That's it. Because I still remember, Kayla, once upon a time when you and Tolo were still at the Institute, you came on board with the UC Caps when they were actually going to go play a tournament in Russia uh-huh. after winning the WNBL season uh, the year before. Uh-huh. So it's so interesting that you describe that because I remember you from then being, you know, the up-and-coming athlete with Tolo in an older group. And now, as you said, you're one of the older ones in your group. So have you learned any lessons from back then that you can pass on to some of your development players now being the oldest? Yeah, look, honestly, like um, I had some really great role models that I looked up to and some some great um, athletes, female athletes that took me under their wing. And 
for me, it was just about making sure these young kids didn't feel scared to approach me or like no matter what my resume looked like, it was all about just putting them under my wing and making sure they felt comfortable and enjoyed their experience. And, you know, once we're out on the court, we're all just hooping and having a good time and feeling good and working hard and getting better as a collective. So some of us have bigger resumes than others, but it doesn't mean anyone's better than anyone else. So we just all respect each other. And I just like to infiltrate that respect throughout the group so that culturally we're a really sound group that, you know, knows that there's, you know, some players that will probably play some more minutes and get more opportunity, but that no one's treated differently. And so sometimes, you know, back in the day that could happen when I would feel a bit, you know, not as, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It'd just make me feel like I was inadequate and um, an imposter at times because I was young and I was like, oh, do I belong here? There's so many great players here. And I just never wanted anyone under my leadership to ever feel that way. So I guess that's kind of just how I roll as a leader. That one really surprises me because, you know, over the years watching you play, personally, I can't see how you could ever feel that you were an imposter on the court. I mean... Yeah, well, when I was just, younger, just, like my first Opals camp, my very first Opals camp, I was still on scholarship with the AIS. Um, it was right before the Beijing Olympics. And the first one of the first drills that I had to do was do one-on-one against Susie Bakovic. Like, I was like, is this how I'm starting my Opals, like, training career? Like, this is crazy. I think I did, like, a half-court runner. Like, I was so petrified of Susie, which is kind of funny because then I, you know, later, a few years down the track, um, her teammate, and we've been three championships together, you know, from having her on my school books, like the Athens Olympic team were on my school books, and then to playing with her, with Townsville Fire was just a pretty cool full circle moment for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. I love those stories. I'm just really glad that you shared that story with us. Yeah, I mean, Sandy was on that cover too. You like, I've got, I've had lots of connections with Sandy throughout my career, and obviously still do. Who else is on that cover? I mean, Lauren. I got to play a couple of Opals games with Lauren Penny. I'm pretty sure Penny was in that one too. You know, I got to play the Rio Olympics with Penny. So lots of full circle moments. I actually got to play with my idols, like Penny and Lauren were my idols, and I got to play on the Opals with my idols, which is just absolutely mind blowing to me. So I really hope that you know. There's some up-and-comers that are coming through that are like, wow, Kayla's my idol and maybe I'll play with them before my time's done with the Opals crew, which would be really cool. But, I mean, I'm not holding my breath hoping that that happens, but would be cool if it did because, you know, it was what happened for me. That's really amazing hearing those stories, you know, especially because there'll be kids out there who will look up to you and actually be looking up even to some of those young up-and-coming players that you mentioned and they're going to be going, wow, there's an opportunity for me to actually get there with them. Yeah, it's really exciting for them, for sure. And to, for us as female athletes, I feel like we're super accessible. So, like, it's not it's not that hard to reach out and talk to us, especially with social media these days. So it's, like, a lot more in these young kids' minds. It's, like, really for them, it's like, oh, yeah, I can do that. They're doing that. Oh, she's reached back to me. Like, wow, like, she can actually talk to me. She's real. Like, you know, so, I mean, when you're younger, like, I remember when I was, I don't know, 12, 13, I thought that the ABA in my local competition was like the best thing ever. Like, oh, my God, I want to play for the Eastern Mavericks senior women's team so bad. I wasn't even really thinking beyond an Opals and things like that yet. But for these young kids to have access to social media and see all the tournaments that we're at and and things like that and the WNBA and um, to actually see what's the possible potential where they could go is is exciting but also you know it can be a lot and a little overwhelming too if I was you know back in the day and I had all this social media like I'm kind of glad that I grew up in the era where it was like I think Facebook came in when I was at AIS and then it was MySpace then Facebook and then Instagram a bit later but I didn't have to worry about all the the social stuff and the likes and the whatever and the shares and how many people follow you and everything when I was in my teens because I had enough of my plate anyway I couldn't even imagine what it's like for the kids now. 
you know, there's also, and, and we'll talk about this later on, but there's there's also a downside to social media as well. Absolutely. Which, you know, and I don't think people actually realise exactly how bad it can be for athletes. Hmm. Yes. Um, but, yeah, look, we'll get to that one because it's a topic that we've gone back and forth on quite a mm-hmm. number of times. But before we get there, it would be great to get your opinion on how you think women's hoops in Australia is progressing and you know how, what you think we can do to try and help boost its image. This is a question I get asked a lot and I think there is some really great aspects of how far we've come but I feel like there's still such a long way to go and I feel like the media hype about it's a bit half bluff like it's it's like oh yeah we've like come so far but like have we we're a 40-year league in the WNBL and netball and AFLW have completely overtaken us. Um, so I just think that there's such a long way to go in media presence, in how they market us as teams, as athletes, as the league. And I know it comes down to finances and things like that, but I just think that, you know, we've got a long way to go. And I'm hoping that by the time, you know, my kids come through, if that's what they're going to do, and if they want to watch the WNBL or even potentially play in the WNBL, I hope that we're miles ahead of where we are now, because there's a lot of, a lot of groundwork being done behind the scenes with like the CBA stuff and, you know, minimum wage with some of these DPs and you know, salary, some people are still working to, you know, try and make ends meet, which isn't ideal if you're trying to be an elite athlete. So there's still a lot of issues, a long way to go. Um, Not all clubs are as professional as others. Um, There's got to be like a standard set and people meet that standard, not like some down here, some up here. It's got to be like, you know, a, a minimum standard professionalism and what we expect. And look, I feel like there is a lot of, yeah, we're just doing so great, like, oh, the progression. But I just, I struggle with that a little bit because like, I just think that it's a bit half bluff. And in terms of what you can do, well, I mean, the NBL have their scores across the morning show breakfast and we can't even get, you know, a little newspaper ad in the Herald Sun. It's a bit of a stretch at times, you know, unless it's talking about something negative or, you know, can't even just be our results or anything. And that's a bit of a stretch. But up in like the regional towns, like your Townsville and Bendigo, of course, it's going to happen. But in the biggest city, like like here in Melbourne um, and in Sydney, it's a bit of a struggle at times to get the media attention we deserve don't get me wrong there has been some some good stuff but I mean nowhere near what the men get and I feel like there's still a long way to go um and so that's just how I feel about that yeah I'm sure lots of people would share your sentiments to be honest Kayla yeah I think so too I think so too it's very huff bluff and oh no we've come a long way and yeah maybe I want to throw something out at you do you think that there's kind of like this belief that if we keep putting out good news about just say all good stuff and ignore or not acknowledge that there are issues that people think oh, it'll it'll improve things. Because from my point of view, yeah, you tell people positive stuff, but also you can't address something that's broken unless you're willing to admit openly it's broken. Yeah, I feel like in a lot of cases slapping a band-aid on something and just hoping for the best is is not going to work consistently you can only kind of take that so far so I think yeah some of the nitty-gritty stuff needs to be spoken about but when by who who's going to bring it up who's you know what I mean like it's it's just an interesting kind of discussion like and like I said the band-aid thing is it's yeah it doesn't always work it doesn't it doesn't work long term you know like you can't just slap a band-aid on and you know just hope that one day it'll just dissolve and there won't be an issue because there's always going to be an issue under there. So I do think that that needs to be spoken about, um, but it's a tough one. (laughs) 
it's a bit of a tough topic. Yeah, it is. But, you know, the fact that we can have conversations like this, I think it's a starting point. Mm-hmm. We've got to make, I think it's important that everybody feels comfortable that if you're highlighting that there's an issue, so long as you're highlighting it from a point of view of let's look at it, let's try and figure out how to fix it, that's a good conversation to have. Oh, I'm just all pointing for constructive out, convos, yeah. Yeah, but there's a tendency for people to just sort of go, oh, this is rubbish, but not be willing to put forward a solution, and that's where you run into problems. Yeah, I mean, I agree, yeah. I think there needs to be constructive conversations to allow growth in this area. Yeah, I agree. I agree with what you're saying. I know that Christy's moving over to BA and as the head of the WNBL from the Boomers. And because we had Christy on as a guest to the podcast at the beginning of our second season. And to me, it seems that Christy's got a very, very focused and positive approach towards trying to address issues like that. You know, you've obviously gotten to know her over the, uh, over the time that you've been at the Boomers. How do you think she's going to be able to try and assist to get the sport a bit of extra profile? I think Christy's going to do a great job and I've um, got really high hopes for her because I've seen firsthand what she's done here at the Boomers and the levels that she's taken us to in terms of professionalism as a club and just how we are portrayed as a club, as athletes and, and the opportunities that have been given to us um, with what she's done with the work with the Boomers. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how that translates to the WNBL and, you know, how many steps forward the league can take under her guidance and leadership. Um, I think she, she will do great. And I honestly believe that the league is in great hands. Because just going back to something you touched on before, Kayla, about trying to bring up the league in the sense of professionalism as, as a club level as well as well as a league level. Um, so there must be something about the Melbourne Boomers and how Christy was organising and operating the Melbourne Boomers that has kept you going back to that club. Because I think this is your fourth season with them. Yeah, oh, and I, yes, I got it right. on my contract too, yeah. So definitely, so the club's professionalism and how they've gone about things has certainly been enticing. But one of the big reasons I came back, to be really honest, was for Guy. So a little upsetting that he's leaving, but I think that's the best move for him. So Tess and I, I think, are the only contracted players for next year. So we'll see how that cookie crumbles. But right now we're focused on this year, so I can't even think about that next year. But, uh, yeah, certainly like the club as a whole and like on the professionalism front is like just I think one of the best, if not the best. They've hired even more people this year to, you know, cover our media stuff. We've got a documentary getting filmed at the moment that will come out next year. We've constantly got images for our socials and for our families of us training for games. We've got our media people doing some stuff for our personal. did an Australian Bananas um, reel just recently and she helped me film that. I know Panina's done some work with her as well. Laurie, her name is, and she's amazing. And so she's really all for um, promoting women and their their profile and their image on socials and things like that because that's what, uh, female athletes, I mean, because that's important because it's, you know, yes, there's the basketball side, but then outside of the basketball side, how are you promoting your image? So she's really for that and, and helps us along, which is really great. And that's been an initiative of the Boomers to bring her on, which has been really great. And she does some work with Opals as well. But, yeah, I think um, I think that's it. I think I've just rambled a bit a little bit on that question, but I think I've answered that. <laughs> we always welcome rambling and forthcoming right. answers. And it's kind of a question as I ramble. I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> that's it's all right. a safe space to ramble. We, yeah, we love a ramble. We're all about the rambles. Not sure if you heard one of our episodes uh, a couple of episodes ago. We had Timsey, 
Oh. She was also very forthcoming with information. So we were all about it. We are soaking it up. So you're welcome oh, to great. Ramble as much as you can. Um, and I'm really glad that you mentioned Laurie, actually, because I connected with her on social media when I started to follow some of our WNBL teams and players a lot more closely on social media. And 100% agree. She definitely profiles our female athletes in a really, really good way. Yeah. We've talked in that previous episode, I think it was a social media episode especially that we did in season two about how important social media can be for female athletes to own their story and make their own story as authentic as possible. And I think Laurie is a big supporter of that. But, well, absolutely. Yeah, but the boomers, every time I see the boomers on Instagram, I really want one of those purple training singlets because it's two types of purple and like your presence online and just the looks like you guys have so much fun and have such a great like dynamic on and off the court that that's the kind of extra mile stuff for me as a basketball fan that I really like to see. Yeah, no, I, I definitely um, love helping the leadership crew, whether it be like the players or like from Guy and the coaching staff and the staff above that. Like as a leadership crew, we really focus on our values and like making sure everyone's, like I said, having a good time because, you know, if you get people having a good time, they're giving you their best. So we want people to enjoy their experiences, get better and, you know, always go, oh, my time with the Boomers was, you know, sublime. So and for me personally, I always want people to be like, oh, gosh, playing for Kayla and, you know, Kayla's leadership. My legacy as a leader is probably more important to me than any stats that I've ever had. I want people to love playing with me. I want people to want to play with me. I want I want people to remember how I led and how I made them feel on the court and off so that for me is really great and that's like I said probably more important to me on my legacy piece than stats and awards and and things like that so I mean championships are great because I'm all about championships and team celebrations and being happy for everyone else's successes and each other's successes that's what I'm about that's my vibe but individual awards like that's cool but yeah my legacy is my important part of what I want my legacy to be is like I mentioned just people you know, enjoying their experience with me as a leader and as me as a teammate. Bloody beautiful, mate. I love it. You're so, it inspires me and I feel like I really hope that your investment into your legacy and how you are investing into the club is embedded in their culture as well for a long time because you talked about some really, really important things. Yeah. Yeah. So five years yeah. I've given him by the time I finish my current contract, maybe more. So <laughs> really hoping. <laughs> See, I've got to say that when I think about you as a player and, you know, having watched you really up close because we used to do the video for the Flames and we're under the basket and watching you doing your thing, it's interesting that you're saying the stats aren't really the thing because for me the biggest takeaway that I have about Kayla is how tough you are when you're playing. It's not about the stats or anything else. I'm seeing somebody who is so focused on delivering what it is that they do and delivering it to the best of their ability and this I'm not going to back down attitude. It's like you're there, you're giving 110% every time. That's what I take away. You know, if I look back at old footage, that's what I'm seeing. Yeah. No, I'd, um, I've um, i always, I mean, as people, of course, like you want to play well, you want to have good stats, of course. But for me, and especially as I'm getting older and wiser, for me, to facilitate and like I think someone said to me the other day you get more hyped off of an assist more than you get off your own scores and I said yeah oh my gosh if I shoot a three I'm like 
poker face, like let's go. Sometimes I get hyped if it's like a situation where, you know, we've just won a game or like it's whatever, if it's like an intense moment. But like if I get a backdoor pass to someone on a dunk like Ezzy, like I will almost lose my mind and need a Nurofen. Like I get so hyped off other people's successes, especially if it's off of my pass, like it's ridiculous. So for me, and especially for this year, we've got such a talented team. So in terms of how I approach games, like I just want to make sure I'm getting at least minimum 10 boards. Like for me, that is absolutely pivotal I've been a pretty big rebounder in my career and you know I'm still loving a rebound so I think I've done all right in the first two games so I'm going to keep continuing to chase rebounds especially defensive ones because I like going down into offense so that's just been a big thing of mine defensive rebounds but like, oh Kayla had 18 rebounds tonight oh 17 defensive one offensive oh <laughs> great <laughs> she loves offense um wants to get out of defense uh so but for me, like making sure that I do whatever is needed for the team, because one night I'm going to have 10 rebounds and six assists and two points because my guards are going nuts. And then the next night they might require me to have the 20 points and the 10 rebounds. And I'm okay with, you know, the type of team that we've got to share the load and who's hot, you know, in the game just recently versus the Flyers, our guards went off and me and Ezzy like had a pretty good game, like average, but the guards went off their rocket. They all had 20 points, like Tess, Tiff and LA all had like 20 or 22 points. And it was just such a fun game. And like they were shooting the three ball really well. They were attacking the basket really well. So that was kind of fun to be a part of. And I don't walk away going, oh, I only had eight points. <laughs> like I go, frick yeah. Like I was about to swear then, be lucky. You didn't have to blip me out. I was like, heck yeah, we won. The guards played well because they didn't really have a great round one. Like, sorry, it was round two, but game one against Bendigo, we kind of shot pretty terribly. So in my mind coming into the game, I was like, we've got to get the guards more involved, we've got to get the guards feeling good. And they came out and they had a blinder. And, you know, I set my screens, get my rebounds, talk it up, be a leader. And I left the game going, heck yeah, that was a really solid game and it feels really good because my teammates are feeling good. They shot the ball well. And for me, that's success. I don't need to have those big accolades in the stats. And for me, like being focused on making sure our team's doing well. So what do I need to do now in this current team or in the Opals team or whatever team I play for? Do I need to go out and drop a 25 ball tonight? What do I need to do to help this team be successful? And in this current team, I'm not, you know, having the pressure to be that player to, I've got to drop 30 a night. Like I don't, I've never really come into a, a season thinking that, whether it's NBL one or anything, I come in with a defensive focus and a rebound focus and let the offense flow. But with this team, with the Boomers, we have so much scoring power. It's let's run the offense and see what the defense gives us because we can all score. So, you know, for me, my focus is, you know, cutting the net at the end of the season and leading this team well. And for me, my focus of that is actually helping me relax and stay less anxious and just wanting to lead and make sure we're all having a good time, which will obviously have its challenges because, you know, seasons go in ebbs and flows, but it's how quick we bounce back from that and how quickly I can help us bounce back from that as the leader. And that's 100% championship team that you're describing there because, like you said, you're going to have games where you and Ezzy are dominating. You're going to have games where Tiff and LA are dominating and everyone can score exactly what you said. So if you're a team where on any given night anyone's going to be you know, leading the scores or the boards or whatever, yeah. um, that is, yeah, that's the hard, the hardest team to beat. Yeah. And I think we've all kind of bought into that. Like we all have an understanding of that and we're all really happy for each other's successes. And I think we're culturally really sound in that space, which I think is pivotal to success when you've got a team 
that's pretty dominant offensively. So, um, or in terms of just like offensive power, but there are a lot of really dominant offensive teams in this league this season. So uh, I'm excited to, I mean, we've played a lot against the Melbourne teams in preseason and now the first two games of the season. So I'm looking forward to seeing someone from another state, but we've got a couple more games <laughs> this weekend versus the Melbourne teams. And then we play Sydney next week. So like, woo, let's get out of Melbourne. <laughs> yeah. Someone different, please. Woo! Anything. Right. <laughs> You touched on something a, a minute ago, which is really interesting, about how you adjust your role to fit the specific needs in a team. Now, both Jacinta and I have talked about this this one incident during the Olympics, which always, like for me, it was a real standout moment. As I've said, you're the sort of player who doesn't back down, but there was that game against Puerto Rico where tempers started to get really hot and all of a sudden, there was Kayla, the peacemaker. Oh, is you that when the girl, like, she was getting really heated and she, like, yeah. we were kind of hooked up under the basket and there was nothing in it. She was just heated for no goddamn reason at all. So I was like, hey, 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 like, what are you yes. doing? What are you doing? Like, I wasn't in a space. I was so focused. Like, I was after half time because I came out a bit frazzled in the first. I think a lot of us did. Like, me and Ezzy had to get a quick sub because it's really, it's hard to kind of anticipate that type of game where you know you're going to win by 25-30 because you're, you're capable, but you actually have to win by that. Oh, and then it's an Olympics. Oh, yeah, and if you lose, you're not in the finals. Oh, yeah, and you're a part of the Opals that have a strong legacy, so you can do it. Sorry, swear ball. So, yeah, I've come out and we're like, okay, we just need to get this much every quarter. We're good, we're good, we're good. Yep, calm, cool, cool, cool. And then they scored the first bucket. And in my head, I literally was like this. Shit! Like that was my head. I was like, shit, we're down by two. Shit, we're down by four. Shit, shit, shit. That was literally my mind as soon as they scored. And so like Sandy obviously could see that. And I, you can't anticipate that because I just panicked. I was panicking because I was like, oh, my God, no, 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 no. We have to be scoring. We have to be winning. It's the first two minutes of the game. Like, ah! So she subbed me and Ezzy out. And then I think I went back in for a little bit in the second quarter. And then I had to completely reset at halftime. I don't know how I did it. It was the strangest feeling that I felt in the first half. And I was so angry at myself, but I couldn't help it. It was such a stressful situation. I couldn't even, I wouldn't wish it upon anyone. It was so stressful. Uh, and then with what we'd gone through pre-Olympics to that, like it was just, there was so much emotion. I can't even like harp on that anymore. Like it, there was just, oh, it was intense. And then I was so focused in the second half and I, I obviously came out and started playing better. <laughs> um, I had to, it couldn't get any worse. Um, and then... Like Tola was already killing it and had set the tone. So thank goodness for Tola and her bloody legendary status. And she came out so ready to go from the get-go, which is amazing. But then when that girl came at me, because they're the ones that were playing for nothing, so she had all the fire in her because she was pissed that we were almost catching up and getting the score we needed. So she started to, you know, have a little moment. And I was just like, whoa, like in any other game where maybe I wouldn't have been as sharply focused, I might have like bit into it and be like, hey, what's up? Like, what do you want to do? Like, let's go. Because, like, I've got Tola there. Like, I'm not going to fight you in Olympics. What are you going to do? Chess me? Like, I just – but in that instance, I was like, no, what are you doing? Well, no, like, we're not doing this. You're not rattling me. Sorry. No. No way. So she was, like, all up in my – and then Tola rushed in like it was going to be something. And I was like, whoa, this is, like, too much. But, you know, people were like, oh. And I was like, oh, there was nothing in it for me. I was like, whoa, man. Like, you hooked my arm. Calm down. Like, we're big to rebound. Like, relax. That's how I feel about that. Yeah, I, it's like I literally don't have time for this argument. Yeah, at the moment. I, so I have a 25-point win to get. Can we just do this later? No. Not right now, please. Not right now. Seriously. Any other day. I'm and it busy. Was so I'm busy. Petty. 
It was nothing. <laughs> like if it no. was something and it was like a shove or something, but I was like, oh, this is so <laughs> very heated over, very minimal. I was like, oh, I'm not even here for it. Sorry, too focused. Bye. No, not today. Thank you. See you later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was funny. It was one of those things as well. I picked up in the men's and women's basketball games at the Olympics where a couple of times games would get down to the wire and some of the teams who were perhaps on, you know, the, the losing end, I can't phrase that anymore diplomatically, apologies, they would kind of succumb to those kind of tactics of either rattling some of the star players of the other team or trying yeah. to disrupt the team dynamic mm. by, like, throwing themselves around. And I was like, ah, uh, can we have some class about us, yeah. please? This is the yeah. Olympics. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's not the Logies of basketball or something. Like, <laughs> no, let's just were... keep it together. There were a couple of classic flops I remember for, from the the Olympics in, in a couple of the games where it's like, wait a minute, how did you end up over that side of the court? Nobody touched you. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, don't even get me started. We don't have enough time on the podcast. <laughs> that's, a whole other, that's a whole other episode. <laughs> I know that uh, when our producer Mary was talking to you before the podcast, there was some discussion about recent events with Tiff and Ezzy and... I know you you said to Mary that you have some opinions that you'd like to kind of put out there in relation to that. Open floor, open mic. Yeah, I just think it's really important for people to understand you don't get to dictate what you think is racist to a person of colour. And if they've felt hurt by it, then they're hurt by it. And that's like period, full stop. And so there's a lot of history in, um, you know, in the way that Tiff and, and Ezzy wear their hair, like culturally, you know, you're pretty much telling them that they can't be who they are. So people are like, oh, but it is a, you know, it's a braid. It does whip people. Well, why did no one tell me about my long braid when I wore a braid for six years of my career? Nice long braid. Tessa Levy wears a long braid. Christy Wallace wore a long braid the other day after they enforced the rule and she wasn't told anything. So I just feel like, yeah, my first statement that I just said, you know, you can't dictate to people. You can't, you know, it's not up to you to decide what's racist and what's not just because you don't think it's, you know, oh, they're pulling the R card. Some of the comments online have just, I've had to bite my tongue and it's made me infuriated that, you know, people of colour go through this every day. And, you know, I've seen firsthand my husband's a proud Indigenous man, a Torres Strait Islander man, and so I've seen firsthand, like, racism and it's hard for me to comprehend because it's just unbelievable and it was in front of my face. So I've called it out a couple of times where it's been necessary and in this case I stand with my amazing boomers sisters and obviously Ezzy being my Opal's girl as well my Opal sister girl so like I'm here as a leader of the club of the players to support 100% the girls and you know the message is that you know we want action and and there has been action and the rule has you know been removed and and whatnot but I think how it was all handled was very poor and I think you know the feelings that were hurt were unnecessary but I think with that has come some action, so that's great. But we're still going to be um, kneeling for the rest of the season. I think that's a really strong message in itself and it's really powerful because, you know, Ezzy is the face of the Opals. She's the future of the Opals. So um, yeah. to have her beautiful photo and her beautiful braids and a promotion of the World Cup but then tell her she can't wear her hair that way, I think that's a bit contradicting. So, yeah, I think it's been a big year in the racism space or a big couple of years worldwide, but in particularly in Australian female basketball. So it's it's an interesting it's an interesting time and I think that we'll continue to use this time to take action and, and make some noise and make a stance and, you know, kneel for our anthem and it, it just together as a collective and I know that other teams around the league will. And it's really important to support the girls because I was hurt by it. 
I was extremely upset that Tiffany especially had come from a you know a place from overseas and had come here with no family and then she felt very targeted and I was humiliated and embarrassed that she even had to go through it but what has been really surprising is you know as Australians there's like this below surface level racism that like we're not racist that's America's problem but like we are absolutely needing a lesson and we need to get a way better and really quickly. AFL has had their issues with Adam Goods and Eddie Betts and then the social media stuff online. And I know I've had some messages of people, you know, calling me out for this stuff, like negative messages. And I'm like, oh, I'm not even dealing with you. Are you kidding me? But then TIFF's had a whole lot as well. So there's a lot of ignorant people that just aren't willing to understand. And that really upsets me too, that, you know, there are a lot of comments that are, are pretty ignorant and naive and at the end of the day, like I said, you can't tell someone what's racist and what's not when they've been hurt by it. And like I, I mentioned, you know, how these amazing women where their hair is a part of their culture, a part of their history, and it's such a rich, deep history that we don't understand. But if we want to understand, we can learn about it because it's my mate Google would probably tell you about it. But uh, I've spoken to the girls and I'm still learning. I'm still learning about my husband's culture. I've always got questions. I've been with him 10 years. Um, I'm always invested in learning and understanding and having um, more context so that when I do combat and like talk facts to people to help them understand that I actually have the right facts Um, because that's really important to me too. So I'm not sitting here claiming that I know everything because I don't. And we as a society need to get better, especially here in Australia, because it's got some interesting interesting comments coming up on socials that have just really made me, you know, question Australia as a whole of, you know, we really need some work in the racial space. Yeah, it's interesting, um, especially I always kind of can like get perplexed when people want to deny that there's any racism in Australia. Yeah. When, you know, just go back to year nine and year 10 history and have a think about how Australia was founded um, and think about we learnt one perspective of Australian history in a similar way that American history is taught in American schools from one perspective, but we haven't learnt Australian history from the other perspective of people were already here, people were already, you know, owners of this land and what happened to them, you know, when the first fleet arrived. It's it's the same timeline but the perspectives are completely different so you can't then turn around and say that there's no racism in Australia when essentially that's how it started. Yeah, and it's like I'm not racist but... No, no, but there's no buts. There's no buts. You're not a racist, no but buts. what? Like, what do you have to say? Like, no, doesn't make sense. So, um, yeah, lots of work to do in that space. And I'm happy to be, um, I spoke to someone from a paper in WA yesterday and he was saying that the image of me next to Tiff, like, and we were both quite emotional, really, like, hit home for him. Like, when he saw me getting emotional with it, he was just like, whoa. And, like, Tiff's obviously got a lot of emotion on her face, but, like, for us to be kneeling in the anthem. And for me, it's like you know, what other action could we take to really show the public in our space that we've got and our platform that we've got? We can't kneel and not play a game like we, you know, kneel at the jump ball. So the anthem's a time where we're all standing linked arms where we can actually take a stance as a collective and kneel. And, you know, I, I love standing for the anthem. I love being an Australian. I love playing for the Opals and, you know, representing Australia and singing the anthem loud and proud. And I'm not I'm not disrespecting the anthem. I still love this country. But this is bigger than that at the moment. My teammates have been hurt and we're just trying to take action and support our teammates and trying to, with the action, trying to make change. So you can't just talk about change. Like you've got to take action because words mean nothing without action. I'm so surprised that people just 
react the way they have on social media about this yeah. particularly. They've just got to grow up. Mm. It's like enough. I, I mean, personally, I've seen the sort of abuse that has been hurled towards players over the years on social media. And honestly, everybody's doing it. They're either cowards because they they'll do it from behind the keyboard or fundamentally they don't want to have their world challenged. Yeah. Right. What you're doing by highlighting that, hey, there is an inequality here. There is an issue. We have to address it. You're challenging their world. You're challenging their worldview. And they can't, they're not in a position where they can actually argue sensibly about it. Their first response is, we just go for the abuse. Mm -hmm. And that's telling you straight away that you're absolutely in the right. You know that you're in the right. They know you're in the right. They just can't admit that you're in the right. Yeah. Yeah, and they re- and they choose they they choose to refuse to have any other uh, opposing argument or any other perspective on the same issue as a possibility, and they choose to they choose to deny um, that they are wrong. Essentially, yeah, yeah, it's a really challenging space. So, you know, as long as we're doing what we're doing and taking action and using our platform, and as long as my girls are you know feeling the love from us as a collective and they're feeling supported, then you know, my job as a leader isn't to read through the social comments and, you know, like I couldn't give two hoots about what they're saying because they're just ignorant. And I mean, when I say give two hoots, I'm not losing sleep over what they're writing because like I know better and I'm not going to let that affect me because, um, and same as the girls, like they're not going to read these people that they don't know with their opinions because that's what social media is. It's people that they think they know you, but they don't and they write their opinion and sometimes it's nasty. So whether it be a racial issue or a you lost a game issue or you played terrible issue and people just want to tell you whatever it's you know you've got to really separate that at times because sometimes it's hard to and I've been really affected by some stuff written online about myself but that's just the business that we're in but for me it's about focusing on us and and making sure that the message is getting across we're playing good basketball my girls are feeling good the ones that were affected directly are feeling good and then feeling the support that's the most important thing for me. I think the fact that Ezzy and Tiff particularly in this instance know that the rest of the team's behind them. And I'm sure that every other player in the league is going to be behind them as well. Yeah. That's a big step going forward in dealing with this. But it does touch on the bigger issue, which is, you're right, there is an undercurrent of racism in the, in the country. And unfortunately, there's also, because you're in sports and because you have a profile, it's like a focus that you end up being the target. Mm-hmm. and I don't know how, how we can possibly address it, but there's got to be some way to address it because I know that some of the stuff that I've seen flung in, in the direction of some of the players in the past, it's like, seriously, what's wrong with you? Mm. What even brings you to the point that you're willing to actually commit to put something like that out there? Some of the worst ones I think are like people that have lost money on games and stuff. And like I had a, a teammate last year who got sent like a, a message saying that I hope your family dies from COVID and things like that. Like just because they like must have put money on a game. I think the betting ones are the worst because they lose money and yeah. people get angry at that. Um, I've had a guy tell me he spelt my name wrong. So I told him about that. And I said, thanks for your opinion, but my name's spelt with a C. He <laughs> said that the Opals will win nothing with me in the starting five. And I just felt like rambling off, oh, we've won a Commonwealth Games gold, a World Cup silver. Shall I go on? Like, oh, gosh, all right. Um, and then, I've, you know, articles written that I'm over the hill. Like, oh, I'm over the hill. I'm, I thought I was the most consistent Opal at the Olympics. Oh, okay, great. 
that's really great to know that you know you you're looking after what you think and your opinions of me and I'm really losing sleep over that. Well, I actually kind of did for three days. It was really bothersome, but um, it's just something to get over. My emotions after the Olympics were pretty all over the place. So that actually really did rattle me that one. But it's hard. It's hard sometimes to read. And if you're not in a good space or if you've lost a game or if you've played badly and then you decide to read through the comments because, you know, you're only human and you're on your phone anyway, it's like, oh, gosh, like my self-worth is in shatters. Like it's just ugh. So that's that can be really challenging at times. But, um, you know, when... I'm in a better frame of mind. I I obviously understand my self-worth doesn't come from these twits on socials that have their opinion because that's all it is, is their opinion. And I've got to determine my self-worth from me and the hard work that I know I've done and I deserve to be where I am. And it's not just me that gets it. Like I know there's hate all over the place, which is horrible to even say, but for athletes, especially because, you know, it's not always going to be a perfect career and you win everything and you top score every time and all that kind of stuff. So people always want to come after you and things like that. But what people don't understand is the inner circle, whatever team you're playing for, whether it be Boomers, Opals, and, you know, in our Opal scenario, you know, I'm not, I don't really want to speak about it too much, but, you know, we went through some stuff. <laughs> and so, you know, there was some stuff that not everyone knows about and people make their own opinion about what happened or they heard what happened or whatever, but we know and we dealt with it all internally and we had to play an Olympics five days later. So, like, you know, to anyone that doubted us or hated on us, like, stuff you because you would not have been able to do what we had to endure and then go and compete at the best tournament in the world. So if you're listening and you had something to say, stuff you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's Jacinta and I had did a lot of coverage of, of the Olympics campaign for the Opals. And to me, given everything that you guys had to go through, because you had to adjust, the whole team changed. There was stuff that happened before the competition, right? I think you guys did an amazing job. Thank you. Given everything that you had to go through before the competition and then all the adjustments that had to be made. And yet there were a lot of, I call them couch coaches, who were sitting there saying, oh, this person shouldn't be in, they should bring this person in, and that'll make it. It's like... Guess what? It ain't going to happen. This team has been together for a period. You can't just start then mm. changing pieces mm. of the puzzle at the 11th hour to fix the fact that you've had to change pieces at the 11th hour. It's just not going to work. But also people make judgments on what they see in, say, like the WNBL season. We have Opals camps. We have like, you know what I mean? Like we didn't have enough Opals camps and our prep was pretty shot before the Olympics this year. But we've had tournaments before that. Like it's different. WNBL to Opals, yeah, of course you want to perform well in WNBL so you get the Opals gig or whatever, the, the opportunity to be a part of that. But, like, once you get into the Opals, it's a different dynamic. You know, there's the best of the best there. Like, it's about how who works collectively better as a team. Like, there's so many different factors. It's not just going to be who people feel the best 12 WNBL players are to come in and play. Like, that's just not how it works. You know, there's people from overseas to bring in. There's Aussie players like Beck Allen, Spidey playing overseas. Tolo's playing overseas this year. Like, it's a whole different dynamic. And people aren't at those camps. They don't know what the coaches see. And they don't know that they're, they're not in on the coaches' conversations. So, the selectors. So, again, the inner circle of stuff, you know, we really have to shield out. That's probably why I'm so exhausted, actually, from like 17 years of pro life, shielding out all the bullshit. <laughs> oh, yeah. That sounds, would be so exhausting. And it would yeah. be so intensified in that situation leading into the Olympics. And then, Ooh. as you say, still having to rock up every day and perform. And then you couldn't even just wear a bloody bodysuit without having someone making a comment about it. Yeah, um, that was yeah. a whole other issue. Which is a whole other thing. But the thing that 
I think that we need to give that group of opals for that tournament more credit about is that you showed so much resilience and character and still held the opals culture because you all very easily could have just put two middle fingers in the air and said, stuff this, I'm going to just do what I want. You could have fallen apart. You could have imploded and you didn't. And especially in that Puerto Rico game, you know, the, the tournament was on the line and you have to win by 25 points, which isn't as, you know, as easy as winning by six, which is just a couple of three-pointers. Just the way that you supported each other, how you spoke to each other, um, how you celebrated with each other, like that shows a lot more about that Opals group than I think any result does. Yeah, and I thank you for that. And I, I often say to people who ask me about it, like culturally we probably came out stronger than ever because we've had to endure like a, a pretty traumatic event and a traumatic emotional roller coaster for a huge tournament as well. It's pretty emotional to go to an Olympics anyway. Like you're excited, there's nerves, there's pressure, like it's a whole bundle of emotional energy. Um, and then on top of that, you know, with experience pre-Olympics, to try and navigate through that plus the Olympic emotion. Like, and I think we did that together as a unit. And so collectively, I think we came out stronger, um, which was really great. And I think that showed, like you just said, but the toll afterwards was I was a shell of a human. And I think a lot of Mm. the girls, some are still recovering now. I I think I'm still like in a way still recovering. I've healed a fair bit, but I mean, time does help, but I've still got a lot of emotion about it. Like I'm, I can feel my eyes welling up even just talking about it now. Um, so there's a, a fair bit of healing to do because you have an Olympic come down anyway, but then our mm. Olympic come down was to rehash what had happened, the games themselves. Now you're stuck in quarantine. Like honestly, I was a shell of a human. And for those that know me and know me well, or anyone that knows me knows I'm like a bundle of fun and just like smiles and energy. And to be a shell of myself was really challenging. Um, and then to be stuck in a room, I think I cried maybe 12 out of the 14 days, like intensely cried, um, which was really challenging. So it's just the stuff that people don't see. And then, you know, the Asia Cup squad gets announced and people are questioning why us Olympians aren't in the squad. Have we? And it's like, oh, my God, off. I'm in quarantine crying every day. I'm not ready to go to Asia Cup. I'm traumatised by what I've just been through and then navigating through the social media space of how people are dealing with us and then trying to navigate my own self-worth, dealing with being in quarantine, dealing with the Olympic result, dealing with stuff that's happened. Just it was a mess. So, geez, how's my truth? I'm just... It all. Well, we live for the truth on shooting memories. We live for the truth. <laughs> no, we, we did. Yeah. We had a chance to talk to Tolo when she was in, in quarantine. Oh, how was that chat? Actually, it was pretty good. Oh, good. I'll, I'll be honest with you. It was pretty good. Partly because we were coming at it from a point of view of you guys did good, right? Yeah. Given everything that was thrown at you, you guys did really good. And anybody who says otherwise, sorry. Not you're in the wrong. circle, don't have any idea. Thanks for your right. opinion, bye. Yeah. Yeah, you're wrong, mm. right? We're not in the circle, but from my point of view, and I know from Jacinda's point of view, we were looking at it and we're saying, this is a team that is not falling apart. They're sticking together. They're doing the best they can. They're adjusting the best they can. They're playing to the ability that they can bring to the floor at that point in time. You know what? Okay. Are we going to get the result that we are really hoping for as a nation? Maybe not. But this team, despite what everybody might think, you know, and I don't want this to sound like I'm having a go, you don't owe us as viewers anything. Mm -hmm. You guys are playing the game Mm -hmm. for your team. Yeah. 
And we're either going to support you for doing it or we're not. Now, if you if you don't want to support them, take your opinion along with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think a lot of the result factor was tough because um, I was a part of the Rio team that didn't win a medal either. My role was completely different. I was very much a bench player at that Olympics, but still two Olympics, no medal. And for me, the legacy of the Opals for the past two decades has been you medal because that's the legacy and that's how strong we are as the Opals and that's just what we do. We hit that podium, first, second, third, we're on it. One of them, we're getting one of them. Almost guaranteed really in the last two decades, right? Pretty much almost guaranteed that that's the calibre of players and the calibre of team that we have. Um, And so to fail in Rio was like, all right, we've got Tokyo, we're good, we're good. And then to fail in Tokyo, so for me, like the healing of that is still happening in that self-worth space and just, you know, wanting to so passionately be, um, you know, have that Opal's legacy from the past, from now for the future, just be, you know, continued. And that strong legacy piece, it's not just any old legacy, like the Opal's have a rich history and it's such a successful history. And, you know, I, I am a part of that and I'm so proud of that. You know, we've won a gold at the Com Games, a silver at the World Cup, silver. We won, We beat Spain on their home floor to go into the yeah. gold medal game. It was insane. We just needed like an extra day's rest. We were all so buggered for the gold medal. Emotionally, it took it out of us. You beat a host in the Eastern on the host floor. It's like one of the hardest things to do at international tournaments. Um, and Spain have like 8,000 booing fans. Anyways, that's a whole other podcast. Um, <laughs> but, so for me, like the narrative of getting back to the podium with better preparation, with no distractions next year at the World Cup in Sydney on home soil is imperative. And I know we've got it in us because we're a talented bunch and I've got no doubt, you know, culturally we're going to pick ourselves back up and and move on because that's what we've got to do. We're not going to live in the past because it's too hurtful. We don't need to. And we're going to move on and we're going to, you know, continue this legacy as we should and the strong legacy that it is. And I don't think, I know you said not to dwell on the past, but part of the Opals history, please both of you correct me if I'm wrong, is that the Opals didn't qualify for the 92 Olympic Games. Yeah. Like they didn't even go there. Um, so, but th- that's still an important part of the history because had they not had that setback and didn't qualify, would they have turned around then or would they have built the character right. to go on? and, you know, perform so well at other Olympic Games oh, and uh, World Championships. I absolutely, I'm 100% with the mindset that they're not losses, they're lessons. Like in mm. any low that I've ever had in my career, and obviously as I get older I get better at trying to navigate through it and learn from it, but it really is a moment to learn. Like you've got to, and that's what I try and instill in like young girls that I speak to and my younger sister and things like that. She's just turned 14 and she's doing all Queensland North State stuff, so she's, you know, going to be a bowler. Um, but I, I really just try and, yeah, learn and grow because then when you get those high peak moments, they just feel that much higher and that much more special because of all the bullshit you've gone through. Um, so that's kind of how I try and navigate through, which is a little cliche, but it's so true. Hmm. Sometimes cliches are cliches for a reason. There you go. <laughs> so... And staying on the whole Opals uh, World Cup theme, when we were talking to Timsy the, the other week, one of the things she said was that this is a real time for rebuilding and I suppose doing a bit of a reset for the Opals and focusing back in on what the team does well. How do you think that the team's going to come together after this, from your point of view, to look towards the, the World Cup? 
yeah, like I just said, we're not going to look back too much. We're going to just focus on that and focus on the the players we have and the talent that we have. And I think it's really exciting. There's some great talent coming through, some younger ones. There's obviously us vets that are still in there. There's been a couple of retirements in, or when I say a couple, just Katie. So yeah, I think it's going to be a really challenging, exciting fast group and I think we're going to do really well because you know in my mind I just I'm a positive poly so I just can't think of any other I'm glass half full with the opals that's how we roll so that narrative doesn't change for me how many times have I said narrative in this podcast (laughs) narrative and legacy (laughs) both both are important both are important so they were in context that's true. And I, look, i got to be honest. Again, when we were talking to Timsey, she actually ran through what the Opals were. And to both, I think both of us, we were just speechless when she kind of went through it. Hearing it from her, hearing it from you, it really hammers home the level of commitment that all of you have to being an Opal. And I don't think people really understand it until they hear it from people like yourself, from people like Timsy, from Tolo, it's almost, it's tangible, right? You can actually feel the level of commitment that you guys have to the team. Well, like I'm so proud to be an Opal and I'm going to struggle to not get emotional, but like people like to represent your country on the world stage and like I've dreamt of being an Opal my whole career. I think when I was like 10, I wanted to get married. I think it was called the Calypso Powerhouse in Adelaide. I grew up in Adelaide and I wanted to wear my Opal's bodysuit. It was my wedding dress. Like that's how committed I was as a young kid. Like I wanted to get married in my bodysuit at where the 36ers played because I was Adelaide girls. So I was like, yeah, go 36ers. So like I just, I, it's hard to put into words and if you've never been able to represent your country in something, it's hard to kind of explain to you. But um, like I get emotional singing the anthem when I'm rocking the Aussie Guernsey or bodysuit or when I'm about to play and represent my country, I get emotional. Because whether I physically show it, a lot of times I do, but a lot of times you've got to be really focused because you're about to play, but it never gets old for me. And it can be really hurtful when you've got these people that aren't in your circle that are coming at you and, you know, saying unnice things about you because like, you know, I've worked really hard to be here and I deserve to be here and I don't need anyone trying to make me second guess why I'm here. I, I, I love this space and I love being an open. I love that I'm a part of the legacy and no one can ever take that away from me. No one can ever take away my dual Olympian status ever. And I'm not even saying that I'm not going to be a triple Olympian because I'm not finished yet. So I don't care if you think that I'm too old to be a part of the squad. I'm 32 years old. I don't hear anyone saying to any of the males that are over 30, oh, yeah, you know, he's a bit over the hill. No. And I'll have a baby when I see fit. I'll retire when I feel like it. I have a lot of great basketball left in me. And mentally, I've never felt so good because I'm in my 30s and I combat the mental space a little better now. And I'm a bit smarter. So, like, physically and mentally, I've, I'm probably in the best shape of my life. So why can't I keep playing? So I know I'm not an Angus Furt there, but I just really had it in me. So appreciate the therapy session, guys. <laughs> well, <laughs> the person say that the Opals, you need to get rid of all the old ones or whatever they're trying to say. Like, I'm mm. going to bloody blow my head off. Like, piss off. Like, I'm yeah, not done yet. I'm not done yet. No, you, look, you can't, you can't do that anyway. Because every team needs the vets to bring on the younger players and it's a cycle. Yeah, of course. And, yeah, and I don't know. We've, we've heard it, like, especially after Asia Cup, everyone's like, oh, see, look, look, there's this brand-new team. None of them are at the Olympics. So look at how well they – okay, so what? I mean, 
they did really well. Absolutely no question whatsoever. That does not mean that that is your solution because, you know, that's like saying my solution to nailing two pieces of wood together is to use a spanner. No, it's not. Right. The spanner's good for one thing, it's not yeah. good for something else. And I think that Asia Cup was a great tournament to have some of the young ones who'd never represented Australia yeah. before represent and feel that that experience of playing for the Opals and get that passion and fire of their belly to really challenge for a spot. And you know what? When they challenge for a spot and they come with that fire in their belly, that is the current ones that are in that spot that they're after have to play better and essentially it makes us all better because we have mm. to step up a game to make sure that our spot is solidified so we don't get overtaken by these young ones and it makes us all better. So a squad of Opals, everyone is a part of the journey. No matter what the final team is, everyone in the squad is a part of that journey because we're all helping push each other to make each other better. So um, I'm glad that they did well. Like, of course, I'm an Australian. They did well. It was the Aussie team, of course. Like, don't be, like, that's absolutely a no-brainer for me. And they're a part of the journey to helping us all stay sharp, stay crisp, get better, um, and that's just how it is and always has been. And that's kind of like, you know, coaching 101 or maybe not 101, maybe 102. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where essentially <laughs> if you're not challenging yourself, if your players aren't challenged, if your players aren't playing against other people who are going to challenge them, then they're not going to get better. Right, you exactly. can't be, you can't expect to be, automatically the best and you can't expect to be the best at something all the time even team usa needs to be challenged by us to stay on top of their game right well, we beat them by three so bye yeah. <laughs> exactly so i think hopefully there will be more people that will listen to that part especially of uh, trying to understand that yeah there's there's squads for a reason everyone gets to go you know in a sense of if they're there they're there fantastic but when you all come together, you're all playing and training and aiming for the same goal yeah. and everyone has their piece of that and the point of that collective is to get to that goal. Of course, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I want to move away from basketball for a little bit. We've talked a lot about it, but there's more to Kayla than there is than just basketball. You've been working on your own business. You're mentoring people. Mm-hmm. You're mentoring young women. Tell us about that. Yeah, so November 2019, I started like doing indies and like doing some programs and stuff. And then when COVID hit, I, I did like three, I, did, I think I did one four-week program, maybe two four-week programs and one 12-week program during COVID. And my 12-week program had like over 200 girls in it, which is really incredible. And I just essentially, it was like a post every day, whether I was teaching them what meal to cook or like a workout at home or um, we were doing everything. We had a mental health course from Greg Hire over in Perth. He, he did that. He used to play for the Wildcats. So he set up a mental health course through his foundation, A Stitch in Time, which is really incredible. So the girls were working on their mental health. They were working on what food to cook in the kitchen to sustain yourself as an athlete. And then, you know, we'd have Q&As and I'd have special guests on. And I don't know, it was just an idea just to make sure these kids had access to me as an athlete um, so that they could, you know, pick my brain. And I've played all over the world in all leagues. And I just wanted the kids to have an understanding of, hey, it's okay to lose your confidence. But like, here's what I do when I lose confidence. And yes, I'm a pro and I still lose confidence sometimes and it's okay. So essentially, I just wanted to create like a little Kayla George community where, you know, they could interact with each other, interact with me, um, it went a bit quiet, obviously, because of COVID, like the second time around, because it was just exhausting. <laughs> so, um, but I do have some plans coming up for some Kayla George events. So um, now that things are opening up, so they've been in the works for a little while, just waiting for this time. But I'm certainly wanting to stay out in the communities and and especially for 
young female aspiring athletes um, to really engage with them and make sure that they're, you know, doing all that they can and down the right path to, when I said down the right path, like physically that's cool because I think, you know, there's trainings, there's coaches, there's all that kind of stuff, but the mental challenges and I feel like, you know, you add social media into that as well, there's a lot of challenges that can come about. So just making sure that they feel like they're supported and they're loved and they've got me as like their wingman to kind of help them along their journey and um, like I said, for these kids to have access to me, which I think is really important. And I do indies with kids here in Melbourne. So um, I've booked in a few indies coming up in the school holidays, which is really exciting. So, you know, I work out with some of these kids on court as well, which um, really took off when I first launched. But obviously with COVID, like everything kind of shut all the way down. Uh, but yeah, it's all kind of starting to ramp up again, which is really great. So like I said, essentially help these aspiring young female athletes in particularly, not even just in basketball, in any sport, if they wanted to reach out. I think one of my programs had like a, a swimmer and a hockey player. Yeah, just to, to help them navigate through the space of what it's like to be a professional. And what are some of the biggest surprises you found developing a, a program and a survey like that targeting younger athletes? For me, I coach um, young athletes of a similar age group around that 12 to mm-hmm. 15 mark. And yeah, with every age group that I coach, it feels like we don't age at all. It just feels like no, everyone's getting everyone else is aging and you just keep going like coaching with younger and younger kids and yeah. as you started with are now 18 you're like whoa you can drive um, right. I haven't changed at all but yeah with every age group comes like a different set of challenges or something really enlightening and surprising so have you had any kind of light bulb moments or any big surprises um, not like massive surprises or light bulb moments but like consistently like kids that are just so unconfident in their ability is one huge area like that is just blown my mind of like how much lack of confidence there is in these young kids and then also like you know a lot of these kids feel like their coach hates them a lot of them are like oh he never he does he always yells at me or he doesn't play me or he does this or like the amount of conversations I've had with kids to say hey like constructive conversations are really great instead of assuming that's what they're feeling or thinking why don't you just ask have a constructive conversation with your coach yeah I think constructive conversations in a lot of settings are really appropriate and so it's hard sometimes because you know parents can kind of get involved as well and it depends I guess what age the kids are but I always encourage them to just sit down with your coach and have a discussion about their expectations your role what you can do to get better and a lot of the times they're yelling at you because they see your potential and that's okay if they're not yelling at you that's probably when you've got to worry so those two items of lack of confidence in these kids it's like extraordinarily high and then obviously yeah the constructive combo piece where I really encourage them to speak up and and be leaders in their team or they think their teammates don't like them or they want to change clubs because they yeah they think they they just think that their teammates don't like them they don't know for a fact there's so many scenarios like that it was mind-blowing to me so I just encourage them to have constructive combos and that's yeah really the two main points that I can think of right now which is really all I talk about with the girls is all I really answer is questions about those two items. No that's really really insightful because you know there's always for me personally I'm an occupational therapist and I specialize in mental health so Mm -hmm. I work with some people in my private work that live with anxiety and social anxiety and haven't experienced it myself and there's just definitely this growing uh, concern or trend of young people, you know, living more and more with anxiety. And yeah. I feel like it, those situations you were describing are very already anxiety provoking, but a lot of the anxiety, whether it's from the parents, the player, the coach, whoever, can be dissolved if we're just a little bit more transparent with each other. Yeah. There's so much anxiety is just built on the assumption of 
they didn't look at me, so they must hate me. So right. I'm just Especially not young athletes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't know social cues. I mean, how many adults do we know that still can't pick up social cues? So right. And the, my yeah, coach is yelling at me, so he hates me. I'm going to get my mum to change clubs. Like what? Like no, just talk to me. Sees your potential. Like there's. I mean, and every scenario is different, but it's definitely like right on the money with what you're saying. We don't know those social cues, and we just assume so much. So it's crazy. Even me as an adult, I can think of times where I've assumed with things that I shouldn't have, like it's crazy. So those two topics for me are like all I really speak about and all I try and encourage the girls is constructive combos and I try and like talk about strategies I use to like get back in the confidence space and trying to bounce back quickly and understanding your self-worth is driven by you, not other people around you, not by social media and things like that. Just because you didn't get a lot of likes on socials doesn't mean like your self-worth has to diminish, you know, and it's it sounds a bit tedious but like I really quite enjoy helping these young athletes because I mean the society out there right now is brutal (laughs) like I just like I said when I was coming through the AS I was think 15 or 16 when MySpace came in we only had MSN Messenger when we were growing up so it wasn't really you know you can only talk to people if you had them on the ads you know now you can see everything in socials and there's likes and there's different apps there's Snapchat there's Instagram there's oh now TikTok oh don't even get me started I've done a little TikTok a few years ago. Now I've been logged out because I don't go on it at all because I, it's just like a rabbit hole. <laughs> so I can't. I just watch Instagram reels instead. I'm more of an Instagrammer. So for everyone following, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I got to say, from my own point of view, sometimes I don't think that the athletes in the WNBL, because this is the one where the most exposures come from, in some cases don't actually realize how much impact they've got on kids. Yeah. Because I'll tell you, I look at my two girls and they've both gotten to know a lot of the players and the Flames over the years, mm-hmm. but they see you guys and they really look up to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember once we went to the AIS when my eldest daughter was quite young, we were walking through and they had the names of all the Olympians uh, in one of the rooms, you know, and she was sort of walking through and she saw a name and she said, is that? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, and that look on her face when she realised that not only do I actually know somebody who's been to the Olympics and medalled, I've spoken to them and they talk to me just like I'm a normal person, Mm. you know, because that's that's how it's processed. The impression that that leaves for the kids is I can do anything that I want. Yeah, of course, yeah. You yeah, know, and and that is just so important. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it's about. And it's kind of sad because the boomers do a really great job of like post game. We have everyone on court. We all sit on a chair. We have a texter, and we sign. We take photos. People line up. Sometimes we're on court for like an hour, just signing autographs and taking photos. And people just line up in front of all of us players, sitting on the chairs, all spread out across the half. But obviously, we can't do that. So it's kind of upsetting because that was a really great engaging piece so that these kids could actually come and sit on our laps have a photo and we used to love it I mean after a loss it was a bit difficult <laughs> but after a win it was like yeah kids let's go Woo! Bring on. where's my sharpie you but after a loss oh yeah so I'll sign it next smile it actually kind of helped to be honest because you had to have a good mood for the kids but they're impressionable yeah but you know what I've got to say that's one of the things and you know because of COVID we miss it but it's one of the things that I really liked about the WNBL. Mm. The players were out there. The kids got to meet the players. They got to talk to you, get things signed. You know, it's so important for mm. kids to be able to see that players are approachable. Yeah, you know, Because so often in professional sports now, 
it's yeah well you know you come and watch but you've got to keep your distance yeah and that makes it really hard for the the players to be relatable to the kids when they're coming up yeah it's such a uh, an important part of what made the WNBL special. And I can't wait for us to figure out how to get around this whole COVID thing. I know. So that can start happening again. Yeah, I know. It's really, it's pretty shitty at the minute. But like after our game versus Flyers, I've got girls like, hey, like, hey, Mama, hi, from five metres away, hi. Sorry, <laughs> can't sign your stuff. So uh, earlier in the episode, though, you said you used to have Penny and, uh, you know, Loz and people like that on your school books. Mm-hmm. So how many school books have you now signed with your face on it? Oh, none. I don't even know if they have those posters anymore. I don't even know. I've not seen an Opal's poster. I don't know if they do that anymore. But I know that Athens, like it was like a little square one that I had on all my school books. But I've not seen one made up for the current Olympians. I don't know. I'd love to sign it if someone's got one. I was hoping at least, you know, like the access to colour printers and whatnot, you know, is... They're more accessible for the oh, kids I've, these I've days. Oh, I've personalised Opal's posters. Like, I'm not going to lie. Oh, yeah. Ones, but no, none of like a team poster. I don't even know if they've done that in a long time. Okay, but so. VA, get onto that. Team yep. poster, let's go. Yeah, I was going to say, BA, let's get those posters uh, out there for the fans. For the kitties. For all the kitties, yeah. Yeah, at a, an appropriate size for school books and folders and iPads, etc. Please. Thank you. Oh, actually, that that's the perfect one. Uh, a sticker that the kids can put on the back of their laptops. Yeah, oh, a decal, an Opal's decal. An Opal's yeah. decal. Yeah, that's what we need. Or like a life-size decal, like to put on a car or something. So, like, you know, just a big <laughs> magnet alongside, just need lying on the ground like this or something. <laughs> Lol. <laughs> okay, now we tend to ask an oddball question at the end of the podcast. So, and it's one that, that I like going to because you always get some interesting answers. So, if you could be any fictional character that you can think of, who would it be? Jeez. Fictional character. Do you know who I first thought of? And I don't want to, like, say that this is my answer, but maybe I should because it's the first person I thought of, which is hilarious, is Sailor Moon. <laughs> <laughs> That is not one I would have picked for you in a million years. He's the last Sailor Moon growing up. And I so I just thought that in my mind and I was like, no stuff, but I'm going to say it. Sailor Moon, she was a badass. She was a bad bit. Wow. I still have Sailor Moon and I'm a grown-ass woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> little outfit, I'm here for it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Or any like like Wonder Woman, any any crazy powers like. Is, yeah, it's Wonder Woman. She's great. Um, who does Scarlett Johansson play in? The oh, Black Widow. Black Widow. Like anyone that's just like real strong and like bad, bad bitch. <laughs> and has a cool outfit. Yeah. <laughs> Did okay. you think I was going to say Frodo or something? No. No, no. I don't know. I just thought maybe like. I don't know. I my I didn't have anyone in mind. My mind though just went to someone with like a big like a big optimistic, funny personality or character traits or... Um, yeah, Sailor Moon's a bad bitch. She's my girl. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I thought of. So that's authentically my answer, Sailor Moon. Excellent. At least it's yeah. not Daria or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she's a hero in her own right, but I just yes. don't see you two like no, parallel done. at all. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's interesting because we get a lot of Disney characters. Mm. Oh, like Moana. Oh, I would have said Moana. 
But nah, Moana's more like for this gen. I wanted to go a bit vintage. Or do you want to have a guess at who Tolo said? <laughs> Is it like the sloth off of Ice Age or something? <laughs> no. What did she say? She said Kramer from Seinfeld. Yeah. <laughs> she is that like awkward tall person that like slides into a door. Yes. Oh my gosh. For real. <laughs> oh, it's a bit goofy. Yeah, for real. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. I straight away went like cartoon character. I didn't even think like actual character because I could have gone there too, but because obviously Kramer, but yeah, I went straight away Sailor Moon cartoon. Oh, well, I'm here for my answer. Stick with it. I select A, Sailor Moon. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Bunce went with, like, Disney Princess or, and we talked about Moana and stuff too. Yeah, did did she go for, watch that movie for Moana or Moana's grandmother? Oh. Oh. Moana's grandma is legit. She's got that sweet tattoo. She is right up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> Kayla, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been a blast. We've oh, had a great time. Thanks for having me. I forget it's a show. I'm just like rambling on here. No, no, no. That's, this is great. This is what we do. Yeah, 100%. It is. We do try and make it honestly just a conversation with the people that we like and admire and secretly fan over. So, oh, <laughs> I should probably turn a light on soon. It's getting a bit dark in my house. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to stand up because you see my outfit and it's very much a home outfit. So I can't have that on the podcast. I look a bit sloppy. Oh, yeah, but we're not, we don't record the video. It's oh, only audio. Doing the voices. Oh, yeah. right. That's just so I'm, wearing, I'm wearing shorts from um, Country Tour in 2003. Oh, you get those vintage shorts out. I love that for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll, I'll be wearing them until they're nothing but rags. Yeah, girl. I love that. <laughs> it, it really has been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed this. Oh, I'm glad. Um, Me too. Thank you. We say this to everybody, and I don't know how we're going to organise to get everybody back on, but at some point I'd love to get you back on towards the back end of the season. Yeah, of course. Just to, to have a chat about how things are going and also everything that we've talked about and how things have progressed through the season. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I'd love that. I'll get your people to speak to my people and we'll tee it up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.